Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I was thinking about the message for this week. There's a few things that I've, I've got that I'm wanting to go into, and I'm kind of I'm kind of looking ahead just because, one reason, because of the family service that's coming up. But there's been, there seemed to have been a theme of late that we've been discussing and talking about here as I look back. And it is a heart that is wholly devoted and in alignment with God. And this concept, this Matthew 6, 33, this Luke 12, 31, 32, of seeking first the kingdom in all things, never being led by fear, but that the mature sons of Romans 8 are led of the Spirit of God, and that all of creation is groaning and longing for this maturity, those who are led of God, those whose priorities are the kingdom first above all things. And I think one of the hallmarks of these people, led of the Spirit of God, these mature sons of God, because that's that word in Romans 8, is that they are not led by fear. They are led of faith and led of the Lord. And it's this concept and and looking at, at what a loyal heart is. There's a beautiful verse that I've, it's become a prayer of mine um, from Psalm 51, uh, verse 10, that I think is a good one for any of us to pray. It's something beautiful. It's something David, who had this heart that was so set apart compared to the rest of the kingdom, the rest of mankind, really. And he says something in Psalm 51, 10. It says, Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. And... Oh, that our hearts would be so in alignment, in pure alignment with God in all things. And there's something to that reality that's, it's, it's not just like that I wouldn't have lustful thoughts or I wouldn't, you know, be lusting after that big F-250 driving down the street with the big wheels on it, you know, whatever it is, right? Because I see a couple of your eyes light up when I even say F-250, but you know, might have some heart stuff to deal with there, I don't know, but... You know, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm meaning is there's something to the theme of the prophecy that came in Second Chronicles 16.9. That this announcement that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the entire earth, searching for those whose heart is loyal to God. This set-apart heart that's loyal to God because God wants to display His strength and His power on the behalf of those people. And it's such a beautiful thing. So much of the, of the Christian world expects the eyes of the Lord to constantly watching them, waiting for them to do something wrong so that he can bring correction. And it's just not in our scripture, you know. What is in our scripture is that his eyes are searching the entire earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him because he wants to display strength on behalf of those people. And the thing about displaying strength on behalf of those people, the the strength and the power, the authority of heaven, is that their hearts are loyal to his. They're loyal to the agendas and purposes of heaven. So they have come into alignment with the family business in such a profound way that prayer of like your kingdom come and your will be done has become their will and their heart's desire above all things. And there's a level of authority that's, that's, that's released in that. These are the ambassadors of the kingdom. And I think... 
if you if maybe if you weren't here if you didn't hear it on the podcast is is the story of Jonathan Yehonathan you know what I mean last week that that first Samuel 13 and 14 this this one man out of all of Israel that saw things differently but he had a different heart within him and because of that he started fights and instigated things that even though the entire rest of the kingdom was wanting to drag their heels and be a slave to fear. This one who knew he had a covenant, Jonathan, <laughs> was willing to stick his neck out, so to speak, in the most vulnerable ways. And his victories unlocked a supernatural charge of heaven into the earth. Because these people, the people of God, were called by his name. you know. And there's something to that loyal heart that comes from knowing who God is, knowing the covenant that we walk in, that we are called to be the champions in the very same way. Not waiting around looking for somebody else to come with us, but this resolve in heart and mind of like, I'm going all in with that which is of the kingdom, with my Father's voice, the Spirit of of God's voice inside of me, and I'm going to do anything He leads me into, no matter what it looks like. And it's like, that's what causes the breakthrough. And, but there's somebody else in the scripture that comes right after Jonathan. Because if I'm reading those stories about Jonathan, you know, like what we talked about last week, I'm thinking like, surely, you know, Saul has transgressed his dad, the first king. Surely he's next in line. He's got to be the leader. He'd be the best leader possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? The dude was an animal. Now, when I say animal, I don't mean literal. You guys catch my... He was a, he was a, he was a beast. That's another one. I would say. He, was, he was of a different heart. You know what I mean? He was in partnership with heaven. But there was someone else who was found, whose heart, he took Jonathan's heart, the heart of, to an entirely different level. And it's, it ended up being Jonathan's friend, his best friend, his brother. They became brothers by a blood covenant, <laughs> you know? But it was David, man. And today I want to talk about um, this heart of David, which is this pure heart, this one who had this prayer, created me a pure heart, a loyal heart, a clean heart. You know what I'm saying? Who had this yearning, and it's just like the prayer, the desire of his heart was his reality. And because of this, the Messiah even came from his lineage. (laughs) You know, we have all these things about the key of David that... Jesus literally comes back and says, I'm the one with the key of David to his buddy John in the book of Revelation. And, and, and there was these things about David for what he was known for was the loyal heart that the eyes of the Lord searched to and fro throughout the whole earth for. You know, In Acts 13, 22, it's actually going over the, the reality in the New Testament about who David was. He's talking about how he raised David up as king. Um. And what he said of David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Samuel, probably one of the baddest prophets we'll hear about. It's going to be hard for me not to talk about Samuel, but I think it'll be wonderful for our kids to hear about the lineage of Samuel. So I'm going to try to hold off on that. Maybe for next week, maybe not. But he's just a bad dude and he had dreadlocks. How can you not like him? You know, but um, so Samuel was the same, like, you know. Samuel fronted King Saul and he said the Lord sought for himself a man that is after his own heart and the Lord said 
has commanded him to be the commander over his people, both, both militarily and, and as the leader and the king. Um, because you, Saul, have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. So there's this, there's this heart issue that, that David fell in line with. And this saying, and, and I've heard it since I was a kid, always a man after my own heart. And you know, to us, it's just like a Christianese saying. We don't even really know what it means. It means like he likes to sing praise songs all day. He likes hill song worship or something. I don't know. He's after, you know, in, in reality, somebody after my own heart is like, it's somebody, he's of one heart and mind and soul with me. Like we're alike. He thinks like me. He sees things like me. That very scripture created me a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew a right spirit with me. It's talking about perspective. David would come... God had set apart somebody named David who was the least of his dad's household, right? He was the one that was actually watching the sheep doing the most blue-collar job in the whole family. One of, depends on how you look at it, but I think he had seven older brothers than him, you know? Most likely was, didn't have the same mom as, as his other brothers, and which is why he was kind of like a reject in the family. He was born in sin, is what he said, <laughs> you know what I mean? He thought he was the oddball out, but God had set him apart and said, this, this guy's got a heart that's like mine. He's like mine. He thinks like me. He has a perspective that's like me. And that's what God is looking for a people who will come into a perspective, which is faith, and see things like he sees them. Because they won't back down from the things he wants to pull us into in this world. And that's exactly who David was. I mean, he was a... There you go. I was going to say he was a monster. I don't know. I got these slang terms, but you, I think you understand what I'm saying. You know, Samuel, one of the most incredible prophets of all time, he literally shows up to Bethlehem where David was, to, to, to the region. The elders come out to him because people were scared of him back then because he was such a powerful man. They said, hey, is it peace? Are you here for a good reason? You know, and Samuel's like, yeah, I'm here to basically sacrifice a bull to God and have a sacrifice for God. I'm inviting all you guys. I'm inviting Jesse's whole family because God told him, it's like, hey, like, Jesse's family is going to have the next king of Israel. So he goes there. He does the sacrifice, probably a barbecue, you know what I mean? And, and he has all the sons. And, and many of you know the story that's there in 1 Samuel 16. The more um, people literally come to see or the more Jesse calls his sons out in front of the prophet, Samuel's first thing is the, the very first son. He's such a good-looking dude, tall, dark, handsome, and all that stuff. And he's like, surely this is the next king of Israel. And the Lord says, no, it's not him. Like, you're looking on the outside. I'm looking at the, the heart, man. It's that loyal heart that he was looking for. It's like it's a mentality. It's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not the way it looks or appears on the surface, on the outside of the book. It's what's going on on the inside. It's like, that's what I'm looking for. So Jesse has all of his sons come by Samuel, and Samuel's like, hey, none of these are the one that the Lord's chosen. And Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? To which Jesse, the father, says, well, there, there is the youngest. Like, David didn't even get invited to the, to the sacrifice. He was purposely kept out for whatever reason. You know what I mean? He was perfect. He was purposely tried to be held back in life. As so many that are called according to the plans and purposes of God, sometimes this happens. He felt specifically singled out and left out. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But God's eyes search past that reality. It's, it's a brilliant thing, especially in ministry, because we can build ourselves up and network ourselves, and it's who you know, and it's who you meet, and it's, and it's getting your name out there, and all these things. But those who trust in the Lord and are faithful to Him behind the scenes, that's who David really was. The eyes of the Lord aren't, aren't tricked by all that stuff. You know what I mean? And so they straight found David to where he actually was. So finally, it says, uh, he said, well, there is the youngest. They bring him out. It says he was ruddy, in 1 Samuel 16, with bright eyes. Some of your translations will say with beautiful eyes. I think that's the original, which just seems so awkward. It seems strange to us. He had these beautiful eyes, this boy, <laughs> you know. Maybe not to the women, but to me, it's just like, I don't know about that, you know. I'm from Florida, though. You know, I have weird issues, right? And um, he has beautiful eyes, and he was good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. This is the one. So he gets up, and he dumps oil all over him. And this isn't, this isn't the anointing at the church, you know, put the little... But this is, a, this is a, a pour on top of the head, you know. But there's something about that that's so prophetic, something that Samuel saw, something that the Bible announces like his... The eyes of the Lord and the perspective of the Lord was upon this person. His eyes were beautiful. It's like his heart was of the Lord. You see the physical, Samuel, but I see the heart. And not only that, his eyes were beautiful and it's made note. And there's something about the eyes and the heart and us having this perspective of the Lord that we carry that is so beautiful to God. It's beautiful to us. It's beautiful, the eyes of Jonathan when everybody else was cowering, scared, and hiding in rocks, and he's like, let's go fight them. Let's see what happens. God's with us. And it's like, wow, one person is seeing something totally different than everybody else. And it, he's either crazy as a loon, or he's actually see something that's very real. God saw this in David from day one. And so we know the story. David, it comes and talks about him. Um, it's funny that Saul ends up hiring David because he was a musician. When Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And the Spirit of the Lord, as, as it was for Saul to become king, left Saul, and a distressing spirit, an evil spirit, came upon him um, in its place. Uh, it's, there's wording there, but it's like his decisions, his alignment, caused the door to be opened for something else. Um, so he's having demonic mental issues that are going on to where he's flying in fits of rage and stuff like that. And they've called David. Well, one of the guys says, hey, I know one of Jesse's sons that's a really skilled musician, but he's also a mighty, mighty guy. He's a man of valor. He's, he's tough. He's valiant. And I think a lot of times we have this picture of David in our minds of this little guy wearing like skinny, skinny jeans and like, oh, I just love God, man. You know what I mean? Like we think this like little scrawny little, you know what I mean? Like soft dude. They're like, but apparently he didn't appear that way. You know what I mean? He was, he was pretty, had some beautiful eyes on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, he was a tough little fella, you know what I mean? Apparently, or fella, you know, probably not even small. And, um, but he had this connection to God. In the, in the secret place where he was killing lions and bears and stuff like that when no one saw him. So anyhow, so David gets hired to, to play the, the guitar for Saul, basically, and the harp. And so he's soothing Saul. So he's already kind of working for him, but he's going back and forth from the king to his dad's sheep because he still has his day job. 
you know, he still has that blue collar, like you gotta take care of the sheep too in this family. You're not getting off the hook just because he likes your guitar. You know, he didn't get no special treatment. And so some of, some of David's brothers were actually in the military. They were fitted out to, for battle. They were, they, were, they were a big deal. And um, obviously quite jealous of David as well, as we'll come to see. But we come into the story of David coming on the scene. David was on the scene. God had found David. David's heart was who, what it was and who it was. But all of a sudden, we have this David and Goliath story that's quoted for the, the next several thousands of years that's a lot bigger of a deal than I think many people realize. Because we had just been reading what had happened to the Philistine armies. Israel gave them quite the spanking because of Jonathan, because of the fights that Jonathan brought them into, wielding the sword of the Lord, really. And he forced that confrontation, but now the Philistines were amassing in a more distinct way, and they were doing what I would call bringing out the big guns, you know. Because there's certain things to understand about the Old Testament, in which many of you do, if you understand the biblical worldview of the Bible, that even though Genesis 6 says there was Nephilim and giants in the world, um, these people that were part, for lack of a better term, they were part angel and part human. It says in Genesis 6 how the angels of God came and made it with the daughters of women. There was this big transgression on the earth, and it produced a lineage of people that weren't people. You catch what I'm throwing? And uh, these Israelites that are, you know, the men are, you know, shorter than most of our women are these days, you know, a few thousand years back. They're, like, you know, five foot four or five five is a tall, is a tall fella, five and a half feet. It was a big boy. He's playing center on the basketball team. Yeah, he wasn't playing a guard position um, back then. These Nephilim, sometimes they were very massive. And especially with a lot of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint and all the, the translations of the Bible that have actually stood the test of time. Some of these guys, Goliath most likely was about six foot six, six foot seven. Some of them, oh, he was 10 foot. It's like, no, nah, that's not true. But he was, still, he was still like LeBron James compared to some, a bunch of little Mel Gibsons or a bunch of little, you know, five, six, five, five guys. You know what I mean? He was a, he was a beast of a man. And, um, but he wasn't just a man. You know what I mean? We were created a little bit lower than the angels, like David said. Like we were created a little bit lower than their ancestors, the Nephilim's ancestors. So there, there was a, a mixed race. And um, this, is, this is the reality of our Old Testament and all the wars of our Old Testament. If you remember somebody like Joshua and Caleb, when they saw the giants of the promised land, they literally said, hey, they're gonna be food for us. They saw them, they saw them as conquerable but the other 12 spies of Israel were like, no, there's Nephilim there. There's giants. There's the sons of Anak. There's like, we're not. <laughs> the flood didn't get them all. We're not fighting those people. And because of that, the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness another, what, 40 years or so. And so, or, or until everybody 12, 25 and up died off or 20 and up. And so anyhow, so this is one of them. So Jonathan's there on the scene, but we don't hear nothing about him. Because I'm like, who cares if they have a giant or if they have a Nephilim or if they have a bunch of them? You know, we got Jonathan and he's, and Jonathan takes, he don't take nothing from nobody. Let's just be honest. Jonathan's a bad boy. But Jonathan's not stepping up to fight this giant in 1 Samuel 17. But somebody with the lion heart of God actually shows up on the scene. And it's somebody that has a relational connection to God in the secret place. He hasn't networked himself. 
and put his stuff out and become recognized so that he could be famous and all da 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 da. But what he has done, he's had his blue collar secular world where he's been by himself in the wilderness watching the flock of sheep that he's had. But he does his job with excellence as unto the Lord. And when a lion or a bear would come and try to devour one of his sheep, instead of saying like, well, it's just one, <laughs> let's let him have it, you know what I mean? He'd stick his neck out and say, no, I'm going to fight that thing. Sound like a, it sounds like Jonathan's heart a little bit. Or somebody from Florida. I'm going to fight that thing. Like, come on now, brother. You know what I mean? No, it's, it, you know, he had a different heart, you know? So David comes, going back and forth from playing music for Saul to watching his dad's sheep. And Israel and, and the Philistines, after Jonathan started a bunch of stuff, with a people group way larger than them, and they killed a bunch of them, and it was a big deal. Now the Philistines have amassed, and they've brought some of their champions into the game, right? Some of the Nephilim are mixed with them, and they're amongst them. Namely, in this scenario, Goliath was there. And um, so Goliath is somebody who's not fully human, right? This dude is, he's LeBron James, X-Man, you know, whatever you want to call him. He's something different. He's got a little something different going on in him. And he is mocking the people of Israel because where they were, they were both on like these hillsides, one army on one side, Philistines, one army on the other side. But they were at a standstill because the battlefield between them, nobody wanted to kind of bring their army down there first. So it was just like this standoff. Where we're, we're occupying the same land with, with the bad guys, so to speak. But nobody wants to go out like Anakin and have the low ground, so everybody's kind of going back and forth. But Goliath, this man, who the Bible even calls a champion, he's, he comes down, he's, one, he's bigger than all of them, probably looks somewhat different to them, or a lot. And he comes and he cries out to the armies of Israel. His voice, this demonic voice of, of um, this bullying, intimidating thing, this voice that comes out. All the demons of the earth are, the, are, are these Nephilim, the spirits of the Nephilim, okay? So we know this, well, most of you do, maybe you don't. If you don't, you got scared right there, and it's not a big deal. It's just accurate, and you can find out for yourself. But anyhow, what's, what, or, or it's strange, but it is what it is. So this is a demonic voice that's coming out, and he's like challenging them. Bring one of yours to fight with me. But it says when, when, when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So David gets called when, he go, when he's going back and forth to do his job by his dad to bring food to his brothers who are fighting in the military. And, um, you know, David's going back and forth, and it says that the Philistine was drawing near and presenting himself very specifically for 40 days, morning and evening. He was taunting them, very specifically with that number, of course. Um, but Jesse... <laughs> tells David, take them some food. He carried these 10 cheeses to the captain of the thousand. See how your brothers are, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, his dad was obviously very wealthy and successful and he was buying favor from the captains in, of the military. And David rises up early and he comes to the camp as the army was going out to fight and they were shouting for battle. So you got a 40 day period where the armies of Israel are literally going out to fight as if, it's gonna, as if they're going to fight, and they're getting pumped up like they're in the tunnel for the football game. You know what I mean? They're just getting, you know, doing whatever they do. You know what I mean? Seen, 
Pine Cove. You see at Pine Cove, if you drop your kids off, they're like, yeah, you know, anybody know nothing? Yeah, I mean, everybody's getting fired up, getting pumped up. That's how the military was coming. So they would come out and actually line up in battle array is what it was saying. But as they would go out, the Philistine Goliath, the, the champion, as it's called, as he's called in, in 1 Samuel 17, 23, he actually shows up and he starts speaking according to the same words, this mocking that he had been calling them out every single day. And it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw that man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So all the, all the hype, all the, let's get it, let's get it, all the getting all fired up, when they would go out, as soon as he would come, there was something so charged about what he would say and his being, one of y'all fight one of us, and then we'll be your slaves if I lose, and y'all will be our slaves if we lose. Let's just settle this. But it would cause fear to go through them, and they would lose their minds. But then David comes, and he's, and he's coming to bring cheese. He's a cheese delivery boy. It's hilarious. You know, got his goat cheese, and he's, and he's feeding his buddies and playing his guitar, you know, playing his harp. And, and they're like, hey, the, the, he hears the men of Israel talking. Hey, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. It shall be that. The man who kills him, the king's going to give him great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. It's like he's got this beautiful daughter. He's going to give you so much money and your dad won't have to pay taxes. And it's like, well, if that's, you know. So David speaks to the men who stood by and he's like, wait, what are they gonna, what's the cost on this guy? Like, wait, like that sounds like a, that sounds like a great deal, you know? He says, wait, what's the payment? And then he answers, because who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? One person shows up and his mind is completely different. But doesn't that sound familiar? Remember Jonathan and the armor bearer? Like, hey man, let's go show ourselves to them Philistines over there. They're uncircumcised. This mentality like, hey, they're, they have no covenant with God. They remember like, we are God's people. Don't you remember the Red Sea parting all the way? You know what I mean? Like, like this is... This is a whole nother level of things. Like, don't you remember the Jordan River? Don't you remember like Jericho falling into the ground, man? Think about the times of the judges. That was all before this. Gideon and these guys are like, don't we remember? You know what I mean? But fear so gripped people's heart that it was just like, I don't want anything to do with it. You know? But David's just like, hey man, what's, wait, you get all that payment and we have the covenant with God? And so they explained him like, yeah, this is the deal. This is the contract to which David's older brother comes and he speaks to the man. He gets really ticked off at David. And he says, why have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You just come down to see a fight. You just come down to see the battle to be entertained. To which David says, what have I done? Is there not a cause here? Like this is about the, this is about the Lord. It says when, when, when David spoke, what he spoke were heard, they reported it to Saul and they sent David to Saul, like to the king, like, yo, this guy says he can beat him. Now Saul knew David, but he knew him as a musician. So David comes to Saul and he says, let no man's heart, I love it, fail because of your servant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. To which Saul tries to 
also put unbelief on David. Hey, like, you haven't been in this game for long enough. You're a youth. He's been a man of war since he was a little kid. This guy's experience, he's something different. David's answer to Saul is like, I used to keep my father's sheep when a lion or a bear would come and snatch one of them out of the flock. I'd go after it and strike it and deliver it. One time one rose against me and I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And it's just like, whoa. I said, I've killed bears. I, you know, this is, a, this is somebody who carried a sling, which was a marksman weapon in, in, in those days, which, which they were very lethal. But he hit one, he hit a lion with one one time and thought it was dead <laughs> and went and rescued the sheep and then the thing popped up on him. And he grabbed it by its mane and cut his neck. So there's that. But this is the experience that David has. You know what I'm saying? He's like, this, it's going to be the same as that. It's going to be the same as that. It's like, all right, little redneck boy from the woods, you know, working a little, <laughs> working a little job. Trust me, man, I get him. I hit him, and he goes down. I'm telling you, I know how to do this. I've done it this time. I've done it that time. Not only that, we have a covenant with God. Like, he's coming against the people of God. He's not even coming against us. You know what I'm saying? It's the people of the name of the Lord. You know what I mean? And that's, that is the heart of loyalty to God. It's about his name. Remember the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means separate. The name of the Lord has been attached to so many things that are not of him. That, are, that all they are is weakness. All they are is victims. All they are is full of excuses for why they're in the situation that they're in. Right? But the, tr the name of the Lord is the, of the people of God is, is wholeness. It is the covering of his people. It is those who are a blessing to all the families of the earth. It is those who have the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven and are called to release it everywhere they go. David is seeing in a way that nobody else is seeing. Jonathan apparently wasn't even there at this point. Jonathan was an incredible guy, but it got to that Nephilim and the line was drawn. Because why wouldn't he charge him? You know what I'm saying? But David's like, no, this is another level. You know, this is something else. So Saul's like, well, all right, you can have all my high-tech armor. You can have all my, you know, the helmet, my sword, all these things. And I love 1 Samuel 17, 38. He fastened his, his sword and his armor and he tried to walk. It says, but he hadn't tested them. So he tells Saul, like, hey, I can't bring your stuff with me. I haven't tested this stuff out. Like, I don't, it's like, I don't trust this stuff. It doesn't work with me. I haven't lived this. And that's another beautiful thing. David was going into the scenario in his relationship to God and not in somebody else's. He wasn't going into things that he didn't have experience with. He had been living this life. So when something else came up, it was like, by association, I've been in this walk. It's not just when we have an emergency that we need God to come through and we're coming after it. It's like a thought-by-thought, day-by-day basis where the, where the reality of heaven has become our reality, where the viewpoint, the mindset of God has become ours, you know? And when he sees that guy, it's like, he doesn't see the intimidation and the fear. He just sees, how am I gonna, how is this thing gonna die like that lion? How's it gonna be like that bear? I killed that bear. I killed that lion too. The lion popped back up after he got me, but I still got him and I'll get him too, just if he pops back up. You know, he's, he's like, He's clicked over in another way. You know what I mean? He sounds like a Floridian to me. I don't know why, but it just seems like he's just a little bit off. But he's not, man. It's faith. It's faith. 
And it's the pure heart. It's the heart that is like God's heart, you know? And um, so he took, instead, he took his staff in his hand, a stick, y'all. And he took five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his bag. Not his sling bag, his shepherd's bag. So he wore his work outfit to the battle. You know what I'm saying? He wore his secular job outfit to what he was going to do. And he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistines started drawing near to him. And the, more, and the man who bore the Philistine's shield went before him. And when the Philistine um, saw David, he disdained him. He hated him because he was young, ruddy, and good-looking. So the Philistine says to David, am I a dog that you're coming out with, to me with a stick? It's like, where's the sword at, bro? Like, you, you're coming out with me a stick in your hand? This is ridiculous. And it says, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Yeah. That is, it's not like, you know, the heck with you, boy. You know what I'm saying? Um, this, is, this is like witchcraft. This is a being that's, that's not fully of this realm and dimension, calling down stuff in the name of the gods he represents that are of his lineage, pouring out witchcraft in front of this young man, saying things and canting things that would probably scare almost anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not everybody. Not this guy. Not this kid. Um, it says, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and, your, and, and, and to the beasts of the field. But David says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you've defiled. And um, the name of the Lord is, is our strong tower. It is everything. But the name of the Lord is the presence of God. If, if you look, like even Jewish people to this day, they'll, call, they'll say Hashem, Hashem for the name of Yahweh. They won't even pronounce Yahweh. And even Adonai, the way the Lord is written in our scriptures or in the Old Testament, it's, it's, a, it's a chopped up word of Lord mixed with Yahweh because they won't say the name of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Because it's this, it's, it's more than just a name or a title to them. You know, it's like, this is God. This is the angel of the Lord. It says in Exodus 23, had the, the name of the Lord on the inside of him which means he was the person, the, the personification of God in human form or an angelic form. And um, the angel of the Lord was Yahweh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so he's like, we're the people of the, the name of the Lord. And the promised land was a place for the name of the Lord. That was what so many of the things were written. And that's why the promised land was so full of giants. And it was called to be a place of the name of the Lord, which to them meant the temple, the place of the dwelling of the presence of God. And it's just like, I'm on, but David's coming, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. Like I am in his heart. He was after God's own heart. In other words, their hearts were so knit in this situation that his, what seemed like insanity or even to his brothers, his arrogance, this refusal to be led by fear was him being in full alignment with God. And that's what he's pronouncing here. I'm in alignment with something way bigger than your punk behind. That's what he's basically saying to Goliath. Like, you, you have no idea what you've just bitten off. I'm in the name of the Lord. And so, um, you know, the, you know the, the drill here. That the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. It's like, yikes. 
he comes back with a level of heat that was even more aggressive than the Nephilim, the giant. And, and then all the assembly will know that the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. <laughs> uh, for the battle is the Lord's. You know what I mean? It sounds like King Asa. Lord, it's not. It doesn't matter if it's many or few. The eyes of the Lord. That was his word. It sounds like Jonathan. Jonathan, let's go up against the Philistines. It doesn't matter if there's many or few. This is the heart and the mindset of the people of God. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's not by sword and shield, you know? That's not what this, that's not what this whole thing's about. All the assembly's gonna know. What we saw as, as the enemy encroaching and violating and intimidating for a long period of time, you know what I'm saying? David saw it different than everybody else in the whole nation. He said, this is an opportunity for everyone to see God saw it as a complete different. Can you imagine if we looked at our trials this way? This is an opportunity for God to manifest. None of this like dumb, bad theology. Oh, God works in mysterious ways, so he caused this bad thing to happen. You know what I mean? I just got to just live with it and go to heaven when I die. You know, none of, that, none of that foolishness. I'm talking about literally seeing when the enemy crosses the line and there's a violation as much, instead of just trying to wrap some poor theology around it and accept it, to be like, wait, a, now wait a minute now. This must be an opportunity for God to be manifest. And there's going to be some eyes on it too. So thank you, Lord. It's going to build my faith. You know, James 1, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that this is going to do something to your faith. It's going to establish the faith and patience of God within you in such a profound way that you'll be the carriers of the authority of heaven. And everywhere you go, you'll have the authority to manifest heaven in a, in a, in a more profound way. Why? because it's going to be more real to you. It's causing a shift in mindset and mentality. And this is the heart of David. It's the creating me a clean heart, a pure heart. It's the reason David was found by the Lord because the eyes of the Lord were searching. Even when he was hidden, they found him like, no, 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 no. there's one who's, whose heart is after mine own. I've deposited something in him. His heart's like his dad's. He's a lion. And he's not going to back down. And he didn't. So, David, so it was that the, the Philistines started charging him, drew near to David, and, he, and, he, and David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Put his hands into his bag. You guys know the drill. He slung it, that stone, and it sunk into his forehead and knocked him out and, and dropped the Philistine face down to the earth. And... Um, it says, so, so David prevailed over the Philistine with sling of stone. So he killed him with it. He struck the Philistine, Philistine and, and he destroyed him. And he ran and he stood over him. And he took Goliath's sword, which he kept, by the way, which I think is such a cool trophy. He took Goliath's sword because he, he didn't have one. And he picked it up and he did what he said he was going to do. Cut the head off the snake, right? And... Um, <clears throat> It says that the men of Israel and Judah, which they were all one at, the, one at that point, so I don't know why it's written like that, but there's, there's a reason, um, shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. It's like, so not only were they not worried about the high ground anymore, you know what I mean? It supercharged the entire army that was gripped with fear in order for them to chase down that opposing military. You know, and it says David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. So he kept his, his trophy armor. <laughs> Some people believe that 
the skull of Goliath was kept where at Golgotha. Uh, I think it's quite pop probable, you know, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know. But the, the reality of it is, is this, one person's fear and, or one person's fearlessness and one person's heart that was loyal to God changed the whole landscape. And I think so many times people are wanting to go all in with what they believe, but it's kind of uncomfortable, so I kind of want my friends to go with me in it, so I feel a little bit more, you know what I mean? Or I'm waiting for my family. You know, people would come to Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me bury my dad first. He'd say, let the dead bury their own dead, which is like, jeez, man, that's not very polite, you know what I mean? Uh, but what he was saying, like, well, I'll follow you. Once my parents die, we kind of have a church thing we kind of do, you know what I mean? We have, you know, we eat the same buffet every week. I don't want to rock the, but as soon as that's done with, we'll, we'll line up with what you guys got going on over here. I can't wait. And it's just like, yeah, no one, no one's fit, puts his hand to the pile and looks back fit for this, for this life. So just don't even think that way. Um, but anyhow, uh, David didn't have that mentality at all. It didn't matter who was with him, who was against him. It was just like, this is a violation of our covenant and I'm, I'm not going to tolerate it. You know what I mean? And it's just like he awoke the sleeping army that was there, that was empowered. And I think there's, there's, such, a, there's such a mentality in the world, even in the, in the church world, to where there's people that can be so critical about what church is or what it looks like or what it's not. Well, the church is supposed to be this. Well, the church is supposed to be that. You know, just get on social media and, and look at all those theologians talking about what the church is supposed to be and not supposed to be. There's a bunch of wounded people and, and disappointed people and all these things. Well, they, well the church is this and it's supposed to be that. You know what I'm saying? But, but the true bride of God, the true people of the Lord aren't called to... to what are they... Well, I can't say that. Well, can you say that? It's Texas. It's, you know the saying? No, I can't say that. I can't say that. Um, I think I can say it. It's in the Bible, right? Yeah. There's an, there's an old saying that says any jackass can kick a barn down, but it takes a skilled craftsman to build one. Right? An ass in the Bible, right? It's there. Um, but it's true. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to kick. It's easy to be negative. But it takes a skilled craftsman to build. And to have our money where our mouth is and to live this example and not just talk about it. To live it no matter what's going on because it's not only about us and the faith that we're called to walk in and the exhilaration of having a wholehearted devotion to God and what He wants to do in and through us. It is that there's eyes watching us all, all around us. And many of them are living asleep but when they see one of their brothers or sisters stepping into the covenant, stepping into their true identity, it will unlock them. And the fear that grips their life and the control to where they're shut down, they will see it as an example, not just someone kicking down and saying all these things, but they will see it and it will, in, it will like, whoa, I want that. And it's like, yeah, it's yours too. Let's get it. And the whole church that was on the sidelines came for it after that. And they're like, let's get them. <laughs> I was like, you guys were just scared a few minutes ago. And you don't see David stepping up to the, to the, you guys are all cowards. We have this, we have that. It was just more like, it was like, no, we have a covenant with God. And they're like, is, is Saul's daughter, she pretty good looking? And rich money? Yeah, no brainer. There's all these great things in it for me too. Let's kill this Philistine. You know, it's just like, boom, let's get them. Bang, bang, you know? Uh, and so here's, here's this, this one 
who is, is prophesied, like we see the prophecies of like Isaiah 22, 22, the key of David upon the shoulder of this, of this one that would be in this lineage. All these things, the key of David was David's heart, man. You know, it was. And the key of David was the cross. Yeah, of, Isaiah 20, uh, of Matthew 22. It's love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the up beam and the side beam. It was the reality of this cross that was gonna be upon the shoulder of the Lord Jesus, which he put it on his shoulder and carried it for us, for the joy that was set before him. And he had it plugged into Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he was crucified over that skull, which is a, which is a, a, a human head with no brain in it. And he's given us this brain. He's given us this mind. And it's like we can see everything through the finished work of the covenant of this cross in this life, or we can see from the backside of the cross as victims. Life can be happening to us, or we can be happening and releasing the kingdom in this life. And there's only two sides of it. Because the, the victim mentality side is not, a Christian, is not a Christian mentality. But even sitting on the hands and just like, I'm just going to play it on the sidelines, that's still victim. Because we're denying, holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power that's actually there. And the reality is, is the heart of God and the eyes of God are looking through the entire earth for whose hearts are loyal to him, which means they have clean hands, a pure heart. They have this view that God has, and they choose to see everything through his lens. And this is the heart of David. This is the key of David. Then we read these psalms that some of us memorized as little kids, like in Sunday school, the Lord's my shepherd, like this is not coming from, you know, it's not just a beautiful poem, I should say. This is a man who has hunted the majority of his life. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I won't, I shall not be in want. Like I will always be taken care of. Like here's somebody with a, with a mentality that's, that's higher than almost anyone else's, especially at the time and whose heart caused the prosperity of heaven to flood through the people of God. That's why God wanted him as king. Why? Because he has the heart and mind that I have. And guess what that does? It causes my people to be under my influence. You know what I mean? Not under the influence of fear. He leads me by the still waters and restores my soul. It's just like he picked up some rocks out of those waters, man. He realized, he realized what was there for him. Here's a shepherd calling God his shepherd. He's still identifying God as the one who leads his life. He leads me the path of righteousness for his name's sake. There it is. It's like, this is about his name. This is about hallowed be his name. My life is being led of him so that his name be exalted amongst people. It's not just Christianese anymore. It's like exalted. It's like that his name would be made known to his people, because when people know the name, that they become like him. They realize who he is to them. Like, he leads me in the right path by the still waters. Like, he's literally seeing himself, Goliath, in the path of like, he's not saying, we made a wrong turn, this is the wrong, this is the wrong way, all the Israelites. He's got the high, we're out of here, this is the wrong way. It's like, oh no, this, this guy's in the path, this guy is the path of the Lord. Different mentality. Yay. Not only that, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid. For you're with me, your rod and staff come for me. Here he is with his stick walking up to Goliath. 
This isn't poetry to him. It is, but it's, it's the anointing is everything we do with God. It's everything we do with God we have. We own it, men. He lived this, and that's why it's anointed, and he's a prophet. But, you know, we have the Spirit of God on us now in the New Covenant. Even if I walk through the Valley of Shadow, like, he's saying, like, hey, it doesn't matter where I go or what's in front of me. I'm not going to be afraid because I'm with God. If I'm following him, then, that's, then it's all good. Think about this. This isn't, this isn't just beautiful poetry. This is somebody standing in front of something that's demonically inspired, birthed birthed of something out of this world. Yeah, dude. And not afraid of it. A lot of these megalithic structures that are built, that are found, are built to the dimensions of like Og of Bashan and stuff in the Old Testament. Like these guys lived in these places. This was another level of being that, that they were stepping in front of, man. This is like some, this is, a, this is a higher level of stuff that's going on here. But he's like, I won't be afraid no matter what because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. David had this mentality of like, I'm actually with you. There's no more vulnerable time, maybe when you're sleeping, but when you're actually sitting at the dinner table. You can't wear your armor. You can't wear your weapons. You can't, you know what I'm saying? You're sitting down to eat. He has that same mentality of Joshua and Caleb. This giant is going to be, it's going to be food for us. There's a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Like, oh, so this is going to be something that feeds me, that grows me, that I'm not going to be led in fear. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Like, promotion happens as I rest in the face of opposition and trust in God. It's the matrix, guys. It's the world is plastic. It just is. You cannot believe the forecast of it. You just can't. We, we, cannot, we, we have to have our faith set in another reality. And that's what it means to literally sit down and chill and eat in the presence of something that could take you out. I don't believe it can take me out. Can you imagine if believing you were unkillable? Well, that would be insane. Like, no, that would be trusting in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledging Him. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not worried about what's coming after me because I know what's coming after me. Goodness, goodness and mercy are constantly going to be pursuing me for the rest of my life. It was something so settled in his heart. You know, I think this religion has come, right? Like it says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation in this religion. That is Christ Jesus. That's what it says. Um, and, and condemnation and, and, and shame and all these things that the that the voice of, that, of the dark ones use to cap people to disqualify themselves from the reality of this walk. You know? And all those things, are it's all a lie. None of it's from God. But we're called to literally and walk in such a place of freedom and wholeheartedness that we know God's heart is fully, totally with us and for us. You know? And David walked in this. If you just read through the Psalms, David is like, golly, he knew he was chosen by God. He was loved by God. And there was no self-hatred in him. Self-hatred sabotages people from this walk. It just does. But its root is from the poisonous tree of knowledge of good and evil that seeks to disqualify us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And David didn't have it at all because he knew, man. David knew, like, look, even with my own dad, even if my father and mother forsake me, that's what he said, right? 
in the Psalms. But it's like even my own dad and them tried to keep me hidden. God came and found me. He knew God loved him and his purpose and his plans were for him. You know? So he didn't have that self-hatred. That, that's, I think that's the source of the autoimmune diseases that are over the world right now. It finds its root in self-hatred. It's spiritual in its source. It's from them. You know? We're called to have an answer for that. And we're getting there. You know? But it's there. It is in the cross. It is in the blood. It is in the love of God over our lives. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're called to have this wholeheartedness. We could go all day with, with David's Psalms about, Psalm 91, about being indestructible in the secret place, in the shadow of the Almighty. This is, this is the calling that we have um, to live. We can, David had this hunger and thirst for the Lord that caused him to draw from the source in every situation of his life. And now we have most of the Psalms that we can just kind of glean after, you know what I mean? But the reality was the heart of David is what, is what has actually set him apart from all of mankind. And I think there's something, even to that prayer, which I wasn't even for today, but like that Psalm 51:10, Lord created me a pure heart, a clean and a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Bring me back to who I was before the foundations of this earth. Let my perspectives be your perspectives in all things. God is causing us and looking for us. We can do a seer conference and talk about seeing in the spirit and all these different things and it's good. But one aspect of seeing in the spirit and probably the greatest one is seeing life through the victorious lens of the resurrected Christ. And when we see that way, we see victory is part of our inheritance, fully part of our inheritance. And we stand for nothing less. And we connect to the Lord Jesus in all things. And it's not about us even. It's like the whole world is waiting for it. The whole world's watching. And somebody has to lead. I say it's us, man. I say it's us. So Lord, we thank you for the reality of the kingdom of heaven, which is more real than this one. And Lord, I ask that the, what's known as the heart of David and the key of David, the heart of the Lord, that you would create in all of us the purity of heart, a pure heart, a clean heart, a heart that sees like you, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, of our mind and of our heart to see things the way that you do. If there's aspects of our life where we don't live in faith, Lord, please help us to have that heart correction and come into a true identity of who we are. I thank you so much for the brilliance of this covenant and the plans and purposes you have for your people and all that have gone before us, Lord. I ask that those amongst us would be those who raised the foundations of the former desolations, would step into the realities of the kingdom of this world that people long before of us have seen, but that we would step into that reality and build upon what's already been established. Let heaven come. Let your will be done. Let it be settled in the earth. Amen. Amen.